0: The season of Epiphany, which began with the visit of the wise men, is a season that's all about Jesus as the light of the entire world. It's a season with the themes of mission and evangelism inherent throughout. And today we focus specifically on missions, on the spread of the church in the world. And of course, this doesn't happen magically, but it happens in actual locations through faith in the preaching of the gospel. But sometimes churches don't always have the greatest theology of missions. This past week, a Protestant church in Minnesota went viral after an article was published about its plans on on how to grow. Uh, The newspaper had this title for it. Cottage Grove Church to Usher Out Gray-Haired Members in Effort to Attract More Young Parishioners. While the article itself was, was less than thorough and even somewhat dishonest, the basic story was that in an attempt to, to attract more young families, the leadership of that church basically thought that they, that they wanted to restart the church and rebrand uh, with a core group of, of younger members and a new younger pastor. And anyone who wasn't uh, willing to work or help plan that new church was asked to attend their, their larger sister congregation about 15 minutes away. And while their intent wasn't age discrimination, uh, that's in effect what they were doing. Not because they they tried to get older members to leave, which to be fair, they they really didn't. But but because they thought that the only way to grow was through younger families. Their method for missions was to gather together a group of similarly minded uh, and similarly aged group of people... Uh, to, to grow a church and, and to change it up to be appealing to that specific demographic. And now, it's not unclear that these methods don't work. In fact, if your goal is to grow a church, this is one of the fastest and easiest ways to do it. If you want to grow the church, just rebrand and restart with a, a group of, of, of young, like-minded people. But just because it works doesn't mean it's good or even good for the church because what usually happens is that when churches employ this tactic to grow um, they do grow they, they usually don't reach the lost but instead they end up taking from from existing churches and it further segregates and polarizes the church and it might grow the church in in one place but overall it it, it harms the church because it makes the church into a series of clubs. A club that you can join uh, no matter your age, uh, whatever your age is, or, or whatever your, your style or, or interests are, you can find a club for you. And then, of course, what will happen in 30 years when, when that church uh, is now the old and out-of-date club? It will be passed by for the latest and greatest thing. There's a theological term for this. The theology of glory. People tend to seek out what is glorious or appealing. And this is naturally built into us. We want the most impressive, the largest, the fastest, the most beautiful, the youngest, etc. Just think of the great lengths and expense people go to with trying to, to stay young. Getting old is not glorious. But just because something doesn't look glorious doesn't mean it isn't good or that God isn't working through it. A small congregation doesn't look very glorious but that doesn't mean it isn't good. Paul's editor to the Romans bears this in mind and this is antithetical to the approach that many churches try. He says, Have the same respect. For one another. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the humble. Do not think too highly of yourselves. And we might add in have the same respect for the elderly, for the middle aged, for the young. Do not be arrogant, but associate with the humble. Associate with the old, with the young, with the disabled, the insecure, the lonely. The weak, the sick, the different than you and me. How foolish and weak and unglorious would a church look if it was made up of people on the fringes of society, everyone that our society considers unimportant, if they made up the church. In our gospel lesson, we see some of these people come to Jesus. First, a leper comes to Jesus. And he falls down on his knees, face to the ground, worshiping Jesus. Lepers were the prime example of the outcasts of society. People you wouldn't want in your group. Lepers were shoved together in in colonies because they were considered unclean. And no one, wanted to, no one wanted to catch their disease, even though it wasn't contagious. Um, but no one in their right mind would, would even associate with, with a leper, let alone go near or talk to them. And if you were a leper, the, the social pressure and shame that you would feel by simply stepping out into society uh, would be enough to, to tear you apart and, and send you running back to your own uh, little colony, your secluded little club. Matthew says that a large crowd or large crowds are following Jesus. But the leper's faith is not in what all these people will think of him, but his faith is set on Jesus. And he goes right through them and he says, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus does the unthinkable. In front of all the crowds, all these people, Jesus stretches out his hand and touched him, saying, I am willing. Be clean. And next, Jesus enters Capernaum, and a centurion comes to him. Now, to the Jews of whom Jesus is one, a centurion would be one of the enemies. They are a commander of a hundred troops of the occupying enemy forces. And this particular centurion would have been under Herod Antipas, <clears throat> and if you were in Bible study two weeks ago, you, you you know Herod Antipas as the as the guy who beheaded John the Baptist. So this man, the enemy, no doubt has a lot of blood on his hands, and he comes to Jesus and he pleads with him, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and suffering terribly. Now, if you were a Jew, the expectation or false belief really was that, that if you were seriously sick or injured, uh, such as being paralyzed, it meant that you must have done something to earn it. You deserved it. Jesus knows that's not the case. And he says, I will come and heal him. But then this centurion, who has, who has absolutely no reason to revere or respect Jesus, calls Jesus, Lord. And says, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but only say the word, and my servant will be healed. He trusted that Jesus only needed to speak, and it would be done. He didn't need to see Jesus do it, because this foreigner, against all odds, had a tremendous faith. So Jesus praises him for his faith and comments on on these events in a way no one would expect. He says, I tell you that many will come from the east and the west and are recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. You've got to understand something about table fellowship in ancient Israel. Table fellowship, dining together like this, was reserved for like-minded, clean, and good people. This is why Jesus is so often criticized for eating with sinners. But Jesus says that the outcasts, the despised, the rejected, the foreigners, those on the fringe and even outside society, would recline at the table with the patriarchs of Israel and the Christian faith. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And this is a revelation, an epiphany about the nature of the church. And it's incredible. The church is one body with many members from the east and the west. Sinners with their needs for forgiveness met by Jesus. And how does it grow? By the Holy Spirit, working faith in the hearts of unworthy sinners. And we confess whenever we pray, Thy kingdom come, in the Lord's Prayer, that the kingdom of God certainly comes, or comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit, so that by His grace we believe His Word, and live godly lives here in time and hereafter in eternity. St. Paul says part of living a godly life is to not pay anyone back evil for evil. Focus on those things that everyone considers noble. Well, if a church has more than just like-minded people, uh, there will be disagreements and people will sin against others. In fact, even where people are similar, people will sin against other people. But notice, Paul doesn't say focus on what you have in common or what you like, focus on things that everyone considers noble. And what is noble? And what is good, advantageous, fitting, beautiful, important? No matter who you are. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is noble. Forgiveness is the reason churches exist. And forgiveness is the reason and is something that all people have need of. The church is not a nightclub for like-minded people. It's a hospital for sinners. The church's mission isn't fulfilled when it tries to market itself to certain demographics or cater to people's unique interests. Rather, the church's mission is fulfilled when it diagnoses and reveals the problem of sin inherent in every single person. And when it provides the solution for that problem, the solution of the forgiveness of sins in Jesus. And that means if someone has sinned against you, if they have hurt you or offended you, you and I are not to to seek a way to, to make them pay. God will deal with that. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Rather, the responsibility we have is to love our enemies, to love those we disagree with, to deal patiently with them, to forgive them. Jesus not only healed imperfect sinners and showed mercy to outcasts, but even as Jesus hung on the cross, he prayed for his enemies, the enemies that put him there. Jesus poured out his body unto death to graft you and I into his body to make us want, to make us a part of him and to give us life. We were enemies of God, but Jesus has made us a part of himself, feeding us hungry and thirsty sinners with the food of his body and the drink of his blood. And in time, he'll unite us with the whole church in heaven, at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'll close with a quote from a, a recently sainted Lutheran pastor who said, Our worship this morning is not an isolated period, piece of time. It expresses the whole of who we are and what we are for together. You cannot be Israel or the church by yourself or just me and my friends. The church is Christ's people, not sundered or destroyed by generation gaps or future shock. Ponder those glorious genealogies with their funny names and doubtful characters. They proclaim the continuity of God's church and show how the unlikeliest of people are included. This is the great epiphany of our Lord. God Himself is grows his church by welcoming all into it. Jew and Gentile, leper, centurion and paralytic, those from the East and the West, and even you and me. In Jesus' name, amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.